We're going to hop into the text today. Um, we've been in this series uh, called Parables, um, and it's been summer at Greenville First. We love going through kind of a journey each summer, and, uh, and I've really liked this one because it just kind of swings us all over the place, depending on the parable and what Jesus was communicating. And, uh, and this Sunday, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16. And this parable is unique for several reasons, um, but one, because it, is, it may be the only parable that uh, it probably is, but I, I haven't read every Bible scholar's take on this, um, but some scholars would, would contend that this parable we're going to talk about today may very well be an actual story that took place. And here's why they would think that, is because in Luke 16, we're going to be talking about the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, and this is the only parable that Jesus told that's recorded in Scripture where someone has a name. Out of all the parables, it's referenced a, a sower, or, you know, a business owner, or a man, or a farmer. You know, Jesus referred in... in, in in, in general terms, but here Jesus calls Lazarus by name. So whether this is a, a true life story that took place, or this is Jesus creating an illustration to communicate a point, we still know that there are some great biblical truths that we find here. It doesn't matter if it's a real story or if it's a, a, a parable used to illustrate. But we're going to talk about Lazarus and the rich man. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 16, starting in verse 19, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation today, and it says this in verse 19, Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. Now, I don't know how you read your Bible, but when I read my Bible, I begin to ask questions. Why, why would he be wearing purple? Why would anybody wear purple? Yeah, a few of you. <laughs> Anyways, I, I, purple would have been the color and would have been recognized is, is, is not just luxury, but royalty. It would, have, it would have been attested here. And the fine linen would have, been, would have, would have represented his undergarments. Jesus is describing this man's underwear so that people just knew how fancy he was. Dion thought that that was hilarious. Anyways, I'm, I'm going to get back to this. I feel like this could, this could be a real trouble spot for me right now. I could get in a lot. Brittany, I can't even make eye contact with my wife right now. Glowing with that baby on the way. This word luxury here would have been the, the, the translation, the root word, to understand what Jesus is describing in this one verse. This word luxury would have been reserved even for wealthy to be special occasions. This is Christmas dinner. You, you pull out the fine china, it's a big ordeal. And, and, and Jesus is describing this man as being clothed in purple, fine linen for his undergarments, and he has Christmas dinner every night of the week. So you can understand, people at this moment, their ears would have perked up. Who is this guy? Because he's got more money than he knows what to do with. 
But he continues in verse 20. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Now, I don't know if you're a dog lover, but people who are dog lovers got weird relationships with their dogs. I've seen your pictures on Facebook, those dogs licking all over your face. You must not see where else your dog's been licking. I just offended everybody who loves their dog. <laughs> or either there's some marriages, I ain't kissing you, you better clean up. Hadn't really thought about that one. But I need you to understand that in, in, in the first century when Jesus is telling the story, dogs were not man's best friend. They were actually greatly detested. They were, they were the worst of scavengers. People hated dogs. And yet Jesus illustrates that the dogs were kinder to this beggar than the rich man was. That the dogs were the one who tried to give them the kind of, they tried to give Lazarus the kind of healing process that they would have exhibited on themselves. So we pick up in verse 22. I just need you to understand, when Jesus is telling these stories, there's so much going on here that if we just read a few verses and don't understand, this would have, this would have been flipping the script on everybody who was hearing this story. And he continues in verse 22, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to the place of the dead, there in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham! And when I read this, I, 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 I see Miss Judy. You're nodding. It's, it had many sons, you know, and many sons had Father Abraham. But we're, gonna, we're just not... Have some pity, Father Abraham. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing? So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. My goodness. Jesus packs so much in these verses for us today. Jesus gives us an understanding and a snapshot, a very clear snapshot of what eternity looks like with heaven and hell and the separation, the chasm. 
He nullifies any idea that you could do enough to get from one place to the other. He also begins to directly communicate to us that how we love people and how the fruit of our life comes forth, it matters. Now, I, I want to give you just a little bit of a background because it's, under, it's important to understand what he's saying here. It's also important to understand the context of which he's saying it. So right before this, Jesus tells another parable. And he tells the parable of the shrewd manager. It's all about possessions, referencing the care of others. But there's this group of people that was in the audience listening that day. They're called the Pharisees. Now, Pharisees were religious leaders of that time. And, and Scripture tells us that they were lovers of money. And so when Jesus began to talk about possessions, it made them a little uncomfortable. And they scoffed at Jesus. Now, I, I don't know. It, maybe it's my imagination. But I don't know that they just wandered off after they scoffed. I can just imagine they were, they were fuming, yet they still didn't. They just they were a glutton for punishment. They loved being around Jesus, yet hated everything he had to say. And so here we, we find, I can just imagine that Jesus is communicating his, to his disciples, but here's this group of Pharisees that have gathered around, and they're hearing exactly what he's saying. But Jesus made this parable so personal. In giving the name of Lazarus to the poor man. But even more so, he's placing value on someone that so many at that time and probably even today would have passed by and never thought a moment. And Jesus makes this statement that his life matters. That the beggar at the gate matters. You may think that he's a castaway. You may think that he's not worth anything, but he is. So there's just a few things that I, I feel like when we look at this passage that speak very clearly to us. So we're going to talk about them today. And the first is this, that it is possible to have it all and still miss it. It is possible to have it all and still miss it. Now, I need you to understand how things would have been viewed at this time that Jesus is telling the story. The rich man would have been blessed and highly favored. Very highly favored and very blessed. Jesus is very clear with the lavish amount of wealth and living that this individual had. Why? Because in their time, they would have looked and said, this man must walk with the Lord because the Lord has provided so much to him and the Lord has put so much into his lap and he's given him everything. But oh, look at Lazarus. What sin has he committed to be full of disease that leads to sores and that he doesn't have anything and he's just a poor beggar lying by the gate and Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. Just because you have possessions doesn't mean that you got it. Just because you think you may have it all could mean entirely that you've missed it. See, we may not look at people and say, well, if they've got a lot of money. I know a lot of people who have a lot of money and they are lost as lost can be. I also know a lot of people that struggle and they are some of the most dedicated, 
and, and devout believers that I've ever seen in trusting God to provide at every moment. And if you think that the, the, the deeper you go in your walk and your faith with Jesus, the more you get, just read Job for a few moments. It doesn't always mean that life is going to be great. And everything's going to look good. But it does mean that if we experience suffering on this side of eternity, we don't have to live in that suffering on the other side of eternity. Amen. It's possible to have it all. Don't miss it. See, in verse 25, Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted? Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you're in anguish. Now, I think that there's, there's, there's a key here that I want us to focus on because this verse is basically saying during our time on earth, if we pursue things over God after luxury for ourselves instead of love for others, then this earth will be the extent of our heaven and eternity will be our place of hell. Got real quiet first service too. But during this time on earth, if God is our treasure, no matter how many bad things happen, then earth will be the extent of our hell and eternity will be heaven with him. See, I don't think that it is possible for us to be self-centered and God-centered. Have you ever tried to take two two-by-fours and, 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 and you butt them up together and try to put them at the center? It's not happening. There's a little crack that's going to be there. So as much as we in our life want to think that we can have all of our desires and all of God's desires and they just come so perfectly and we just find our center, something's off balance unless God is our center. You know how we miss it when we have it all is when God's not the center of our life. When we're pursuing things other than God and we're pursuing the things of this world that, by the way, wake up, it all is going to fade away. You can't take any of it with you. Jesus so clearly says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So if our treasure is found in God, then our heart will be with God. And if our treasure is found in things of this world, and that's everywhere we place our treasure, then our heart's going to be in this world. And Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6-7, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of it. Some of us need to be reminded of this. I, and, 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 and I'm going to clarify in a moment. I'm not saying we can't have nice things. I'm saying those things can't take precedence over loving God and loving others. One quote said this, Contentment is not simply about settling for what we have, but entrusting what God has said. See, contentment, allowing God to be our treasure, comes in trusting Him, trusting what His Word says. And can I tell you, in this day and age, when the stock market is, is like a, a ping pong and we don't know what's going on, and if you got a retirement, Lord, please don't look at it right now. We already got enough people who need counseling, you know? I'm just kidding. I believe in counseling. Counseling's great, and we've... <laughs> 
I just realized that sounded negative. Nah, I, I meet with my counselor twice a month, okay, just to make sure I'm good. But if you start trusting in the way that the world is going and the economy that we live in, and we're so afraid of inflation and, and, and recession and all these words that I just, if I see it in an article, I just want to just flip the page because I'm not trusting in the market moves. I'm trusting in the move of God. I can live my life in a place to trust that in it all, God still got me. I don't have to look at what's in my hands. I can trust that God's got me in His. That's when God is our treasure that it doesn't matter. Strip it all back. Let it all, let it all burn down. God, you still got me. And if this earth takes me out, if you're my center and you're my treasure, I know where I'm going. We don't have to miss it. Now, I need you to understand something for this because oftentimes I think when we read parables, we can villainize the rich man and say, well, I would never respond like that. Well, can I tell you, he was a, he was a card-toting Jewish man. Do you know how many card-carrying Christians we have today? So in today's day and age, we may say that this guy would attend Greenville first, although he is not in this service or last service. He just wasn't here today. He missed this message. But we know this because how he addresses Abraham. Jesus was very clear in his words. He, he, he calls Abraham father, which if you understand, Jewish people are descendants of Abraham. He is recognizing Abraham as his father, which says, I, I'm a card carrying, I am a Jew. And yet carrying a card didn't mean that he had a relationship with the one true God. John the Baptist speaks to this actually earlier in Luke. In chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, he says, Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd asks, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. See, the rich man was saying, I'm a child of Abraham. Father Abraham, did you forget me? I'm down here. But the problem was he bore no fruit. He had everything, yet he still missed it. Being a Christian by title, being associated with a church, living off your grandmother's fate is not going to cut it when it comes to eternity. God must be our greatest treasure. Don't search for it all and miss him. One of the commentaries on this passage says, we should not think that Lazarus was saved by his poverty any more than we should think that the rich man was damned by his wealth. Lazarus must have had a true relationship of faith with the true God, and the rich man did not. Their life circumstances made that faith easier or more difficult, but did not create it. It is all in our relationship and devotion to God. 
Now, why does this matter? Because our devotion to God is seen in our care of others. Our devotion to God is seen in our care of others. The rich man is in hell because he delighted more in luxuries for himself than in love for Lazarus. It didn't make any difference that he thought he was a secure son of Abraham. I need you to hear this this morning. That just because he thought he was in a good place, the fruit of his life spoke otherwise. It's not that the rich man's sin was in him doing wrong things. It was that he did nothing. You can't love God and not love others. It's not possible. You may be trying real hard, but it doesn't work out. This is why the greatest commandment that Jesus speaks, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what should the rich man have done? He should have loved God and loved Lazarus. Now, I don't want you to be confused that this is not a love others so that you can love God more. I, I think it's actually the contrary to this. I believe that when we love God more, the overflow is that we love others better. I think the deeper our love goes for God, the more we should be able to express our love for our spouse. The greater ability to love our kids even when they, they're knuckleheads. The, the easier it is for us to love our neighbor that rubs us the wrong way. That coworker that sees differently than we do. The family member that we really, it would probably be easier in our mind just to cut them off. But no, when we love God deeper, we've got to love others better. And if you're not seeing that translate, there is something off in the fruit production of your life. Because I can't live a self-centered life and a God-centered life. Did you realize when we read this parable, when I was sharing with somebody after first service, I said, there are things that jumped out in my study of this parable. I've never preached in this passage of Scripture in my however many years, 15 plus years of ministry, never preached on this passage. But I could have quoted the, 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 the story because I, I have heard this story from being a child growing up in church. And, and you just get this vivid picture of this rich man begging for Lazarus just to drop some water on his tongue to give him some relief. I've known this story, but I've never done a deep study of this story. And this jumped off the page that the rich man knew Lazarus by name. He calls him by name, which tells us that during his time on this earth, he knew where Lazarus was. He knew who Lazarus was. He knew the needs of Lazarus and chose not to do anything about it. The hard question for us today is who is the Lazarus in our life that's been sitting by the gate and we've done nothing to step up to the plate? Where's the fruit of our life? See, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. 
I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Caring for others, it touches the heart of God. Caring for others reveals the fruit of our life. And are we living God-centered or self-centered? It's why with so much intensity and conviction, I can stand here today and say, in light of wherever you stand on our current events and issues, we've got to do more to love well. We may not even know their name, and it it doesn't get us off the hook for us not being a part of the equation to bring hope to the hopeless, to meet the need of those that are suffering and struggling. Because if we love God, we will love others. And the third and final point this morning is this. See, Jesus is talking about possessions, and he's talking about heaven and hell. And our third point this morning is this, is death is inevitable, the destination is a choice. Unless Jesus returns before we breathe our last breath, we are all going to die. And I promise you, I hate death. I hate it. But then there's that part of you that when you know confidently how someone has lived their life and that they've lived a God-centered and a fruitful life, I can promise you when I breathe my last breath, don't try and bring me back. Don't you dare pray for my resurrection. (laughs) Only one that can do that is my wife, okay? Why? Because on the other side of eternity, when we make the choice for God to be our treasure, for us to, to receive forgiveness, to make Jesus the Savior of our life, our destination can be altered. Because we are all born as sinners into this world. That the only way that we get to spend eternity with Jesus is to make him the Lord of our life. I, I, I see the rich man. He's in so much torment. He begs Abraham to send word to his five brothers. And what is Abraham's response? They have Moses and the prophets. Do you know what Abraham's referring to? God's word. They have everything that Moses wrote. They have everything that the prophets wrote. And the man argues and says, I think it'll be better to send Lazarus. Like this rich man. You missed it. You're still asking Lazarus to serve you. Your heart is jacked up. Even in this picture of him in eternity, he still doesn't get it. Hey, Abraham, I got a better idea than what you got. He argues, I think it'll be better to send Lazarus. A man who has risen from the dead. And Abraham's response, if they don't listen to God's word, they won't listen to someone who's risen from the dead. Now let's remember who's communicating this parable. Who's speaking to the Pharisees, who's speaking to the disciples, who's speaking to those who are listening in this moment, is the very one who's going to give his life so that we can experience eternity with God 
And he's basically saying, if God's word doesn't do it for you, my death and resurrection is not going to convince you otherwise. You've got to make the choice. We pray for the supernatural. We pray for healings. We want to see a move of God's spirit. But at the end of the day, God's word is always and forever will be true. Jesus, his sacrifice is real. We see it on the pages of his word for us. If we're waiting for a sign and a wonder for us to make the decision to spend eternity with Jesus, it's not going to change anything. We've got to allow him to transform our hearts to be receptive to his word. We all have a choice to make. But how we live our lives on this earth and ultimately where we spend eternity. God's heart is that both men would have been in heaven. Well, how can you be convinced of that? Because I read very clearly in Scripture that God loved the world so much that He sent His Son so that none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. This is a glimpse at the heart of God. God doesn't want to see His creation his image bearers separated for eternity. Do you know what? Regardless of your opinion, regardless of your past, we were created in the image of the Almighty God. And the sacrifice of Jesus paves the way for all of us as sinners to spend eternity with Him. See, I think sometimes we just look at the cards we carry. Well, I'm a part of so-and-so church. I've been a part of that church. Or, well, I... Yeah, I'm a Christian. Where is our fruit? Is our life God-centered or is it self-centered? Because let me tell you, a self-centered life doesn't pay well for eternity. But a God-centered life that is bearing fruit, has received Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can be confident in where we will spend eternity. I want to invite everybody to bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. This right here is why we have this moment every Sunday. Because we want to give people an opportunity to openly declare that Jesus is Lord. Scripture says that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We need Jesus as our Savior. God is our treasure. And I want to give you that opportunity to make the decision today. If you're here in this room and you just say, Pastor, my life has not been centered on God. I'm out of alignment. I haven't been bearing fruit. I haven't had a real relationship with Jesus. I need to make things right today. I want my destination to be heaven. I just want you to slip your hand up right now in this room. You say, Pastor, I'm making that decision today. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? You're here today. You'd say, I need to pray that prayer, Pastor. I'm ready to make things right. Hey, can we repeat this? after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. 
and I want to be made new. I invite you into my life. I want to trust you as my Savior and follow you as King. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate today?